I want to start off today by thanking Mark for last Sunday. Uh, this, Mark, I don't know if you know, we kind of have a schedule, although it gets thrown out of whack every now and then. But normally the first Sunday is uh, Mark Sunday to preach. But those of you that were here at HymnFest or those of you that heard me try to speak last Sunday uh, know that I had absolutely no voice. Now, some of you are thinking, I know what some of you are thinking, but so last Saturday night at HymnFest, after it was over, I asked Mark, I said, any way you can preach tomorrow. And so Mark preached last week and I really appreciate him uh, being available and being able to do that on, uh, on such short short notice. So those of you who may have known our schedule and you're here because you thought Mark was today, I fooled you. But if you have your Bibles open to the very first Psalm, Psalm chapter one. And again, I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing for several, several weeks now, after we got through with Hebrews We have been on Sunday mornings going through some of the Psalms. And you're probably thinking, why has it taken six, seven, eight Psalms? And now we're going to start with Psalm 1. I have no answer for that. Other than the fact, when I began doing the Psalms, I did not know how long I was going to be in there, how many we were going to do. I didn't really anticipate it turning into kind of a series, which is kind of, kind of has. And so, you know, now I find myself, well, okay, let's, let's, let's go back to the beginning. All right. So maybe we can pretend it's like one of those movies where you, where you show up and then they say 48 hours later or 48 hours earlier, you know, and so that's kind of where we are. But we have seen as we've looked at the Psalms that The poetry and the meditations and the hymns, it gives us a unique perspective on human emotion. Uh, We've seen confusion on the part of God's people. We've seen anger on the part of God's people. We've seen joy on the part of God's people. Uh, We've seen, you know, the idea of needing encouragement and, and praising God for being our rock and our shelter and all these different things. And, and we see all of these human emotions in the Psalms. And that's why I enjoy going through them because whether it's David or one of the other psalmists, I, I feel like depending on where I am at that particular moment in my life, a particular psalm has more meaning. At a particular time. Because there are times when I need to be encouraged. And reminded of what God has done for me. There are times when I'm frustrated. And confused. And don't understand why. God is working in a particular way. Or not working. In the way that I thought. Or think that he should. Or times that I just want to vent. A little bit. And we see that. The first psalm would have been really good to do at the very beginning because it is an excellent opening to the entire collection. And it really sets the stage for life in general. And it really sets the stage for many of the other psalms, some of which we've read and some of which we have not yet. So if you would, Psalm chapter 1, or the first psalm. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, 
or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his light, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You know, this psalm very concisely portrays the duality or dualness of life. It is a psalm of contrast. It is a psalm of choice. It reminds me, you remember, at the end of Moses' life. He goes up and he's addressing the children of Israel. And he says to them, I present to you this day, what do you want? Life or death? I'm giving you a choice. And we think to ourselves, do we not? Well, that's a no-brainer. That's an easy choice. You can either have life or you can have death. And all the Israelites probably looked at Moses like you and I might have looked at him. Duh. We choose life. And Moses says, really? Really? Well, then you're going to do what God tells you to do. And we know that it wasn't long after they entered the promised land that they chose death. Because they chose not to do what God wanted them to do. Joshua, at the end of his life, says, I choose, you know, I, I offer before you blessings or cursings or curses or cursings. Can it be cursings? We're going to make it cursings this morning. Blessings and cursings. Which do you want? And again, the people said, oh, we want the blessings. We want to be blessed by God. And Joshua said, well, then you need to do what God says. And they don't. And eventually they choose the cursings or the curses, as the case may be. You remember at the very end, kind of, of the Sermon on the Mount, in what we would call the invitation. Jesus is kind of wrapping it up and he says, you know what? There's two roads. One is broad and it leads to destruction. One is narrow and it leads to life. Which one are you going to choose? Which one are you going to choose? And if we were there listening to Jesus, we would all say, I'm going to choose the narrow way. I'm going to choose the way that leads to life, not the one that leads to destruction. But then the choices we make every day in our lives kind of says we made another choice, perhaps. Maybe we chose the other road. He talked about Jesus did the wise and the foolish builder. Are we going to be the ones who hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice? And be like the wise builder who built upon the rock? Or are we going to hear what Jesus says and not put them into practice and be like the foolish builder? Who builds his house on the sand And it came down with a terrible crash. In life, in scripture, there are two kinds of people. There are the blessed and there are the wicked. There is the saved and there is the lost. And all throughout the Psalms, 
in many of the Psalms, we see that duality brought up again. The idea of the blessed and the wicked, the righteous and the unrighteous, those who follow God and those who don't follow God. The writer of this Psalm makes an overwhelmingly compelling argument for choosing the way of righteousness. Now, seriously, should we have to be convinced to choose the way of the righteous? Should we have to be convinced to choose the way of blessings? Should we have to be convinced to choose the way of life? We shouldn't have to be. But sometimes we're dense. Sometimes we're just not that smart. Or sometimes we just need to be reminded because of all that else that is going on in the world. And so our writer of this psalm reminds us or argues for us the, why, the reason that we ought to choose the way of the righteous. And it's a three-pronged argument. The first one we see is he describes the description of the blessed. The psalm begins as a beatitude. Similar to what we find at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I'm not going to go beyond that because I'll get them mixed up. So, But we know what we're talking about. Yeah, the idea of blessed is the person who does this, and this is their reward. Well, the very first psalm starts as a beatitude. Blessed is the man. Now, it begins as a negative. Unlike the Beatitudes we find in Matthew 5, blessed are those who do these certain things of pure in art, the, the, the meek and, and all that. This starts as a negative. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the seat of the mockers. This is what we call, or I call, I think. I don't think I coined it. I'm sure I stole it from somebody. But it's what we call a progressive parallelism. Okay? You see kind of the progression of the man. Walking, standing, and sitting. And every time you kind of see that each situation puts the man in a deeper, more perilous situation. All right? Satan is not an idiot. Have you figured that out? Satan is intelligent. Satan knows how to get to us. And for most of us, and we've talked about this, for most of us, Satan knows that he is not going to be able to just come right at us with temptation and get us to succumb. He knows that if the temptation is just put right there in front of us, we're going to be repelled by that. We're going to go, oh, no, I can't do that. God doesn't want me to do that. That's awful. But if you can get in a little by little, if you can get us to kind of walk by temptation and then maybe stand by temptation, before you know it, we'll be sitting in the middle of temptation or in the middle of sin. 
First of all, sometimes we find ourselves in a position we should not be in. Surrounded by people and things that we often know to be tempting to us. We said this before, I have found that in my life, the times that I have been tempted the most, I could have foreseen that happening. I probably even knew that it was going to happen. But somehow I convinced myself that I would be able to withstand the temptation. That I would be able to, you know, get close enough to the fire without getting burned, as we say. Kind of like Adam and Eve. I go back to this. God tells Eve and Adam... You need of every tree in the garden except this one. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. But the next thing you know, we find Eve near the tree. And the serpent talking to her. Eve could have avoided the whole situation if she had avoided getting near the tree. If she had, when she was walking through the garden, she knew the tree was up there. I'm not going anywhere near the tree. I'm going this way around. But you see, the tree had tempting fruit. The tree had beautiful leaves. The tree looked appealing. For those of you that have been around 32 years, I apologize, but I've used every illustration I possibly have. But if you put a hole full of rattlesnakes, a pit with rattlesnakes in it, now you ought to know me well enough to know. I'm not going to get close to that pit. I'm not going to look down into that pit. If where I want to go from here to there, the pit is between us, I'm going to be like the Jews going from Galilee to Jerusalem. I'm going all the way around that pit. I'm not getting anywhere near the pit. I don't like snakes. Same with heights, right? I've told you before. If I die from falling off a cliff, I want the FBI involved. Because I promise you it was not an accident. Because I would have never been close enough to the edge of that cliff to have fallen off. Somebody pushed me. But you see, with sin, because see, sin doesn't look like a pit full of rattlesnakes. It looks like a beautiful fruit. I've told you before, when I was young, I thought that a mature Christian was the one who could get as close to the line as possible without going over. I've since learned that the real mature Christian is the one who knows to get as far away from the line as possible. We should not be walking in the way of the sinners. Because before you know it, you'll find yourself standing. And then before you know it, you'll find yourself sitting amongst them. 
We eventually, we're often intrigued by what we see or what we feel or, and, and we linger. That's what happened to Eve. That's what happened to David on the rooftop. That's what happened to Peter when he was following at a distance. We need to remove ourselves from that situation. You see, David and Joseph were kind of in similar situations, right? They were kind of being led astray by their physical attraction or whatever was going on. David sees Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop. All it would have taken was a whoops and go back into the palace. But apparently not. David lingered. David inquired. And then before you knew it, David sinned. Joseph, on the other hand, is pursued by his boss's wife. And he stood strong as long as he could. But when he knew he couldn't stand strong anymore, he just ran out. Just fled. Sometimes that may be what we need to do. Just flee the situation. Just get ourselves out no matter what it takes. But if we linger around, if we get too close, eventually we end up in the middle of sin as if we had been there all along. You remember the story of Lot and Abraham and their, the, the pastures they were in couldn't support both families anymore. And so Abraham said to Lot, you choose wherever you want to go and I'll go the other way. And it says that Lot, what does it say? Pitched his tent near Sodom. Pitched his tent near Sodom. And oh, by the way, it adds after that. And the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked. The next time we find Lot, he's done, built him a house in Sodom. He had pitched his tent near Sodom. But now he is living in Sodom. You see, he kind of walked by. He kind of stood there a while and the next thing you know he was sitting right in the middle of the people of Sodom the blessed man keeps himself out of tempting situations and he finds himself when he, even when he finds himself there and moves along i was reminded of proverbs 5 and proverbs 7 both of those chapters solomon is 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 Telling his sons and those who would listen to stay away from, from sexual immorality. And he's using, he's using a metaphor kind of. He's personifying sexual immorality as this woman, this adulteress. That is calling out to people on the street corner. And in chapter 7 and verse 6, looks at, uh, this is Proverbs. He says, at the window of my house I looked out through the lattice. And I saw among the simple. I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner. This is the adulteress. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as day was fading, as dark night set in, then out came the woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with a crafty intent. She is loud and defiant and her feet never stay at home. She took hold of him, kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, and it goes on. 
And you get the idea that what Solomon is trying to portray here, the young man knew better. The young man was not caught off guard. The young man knew what kind of neighborhood it was. The young man knew what kind of woman this was. But he was still kind of walking by. Well, I'm just going to kind of, you know, look out of the corner of my eye. I'm just going to kind of see what's going on in those kind of places. And then before you know it, he finds himself involved. And that is what the writer of Psalm 1 tells us. The blessed man is not the one who walks, stands, and then sits. But then he also says in the positive way, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. How do you view God's commandments? How do you view God's laws and God's statutes? You know, we have certain laws here in this country that I don't like. Just be honest with you. I don't like paying taxes. I don't. I understand what they're for. I appreciate what we have in this country because of taxes. I mean, I get all of that. I, you know, I get all of that. But I don't like paying taxes. There are some times when I don't like the speed limit. That may shock you. I don't get it, number one. I do not understand why from Gilmer to Big Sandy, the speed limit is 60 miles an hour. And I can go over here to some curvy road like this and the speed limit is 75. If I'm going to Tyler, it is like I am creeping along between Gilmer and Big Sandy. And they got those, those speed limit signs with the orange around it to let you know speed limit's only 60. Why? I don't get it. I want to go 70 or better. You know, we went out west last year. There were some 80s. Woo! Love that. But there are just certain laws that I follow in this land Because I have to. I don't like them. I don't appreciate them. Some of them I don't think are for my own good. Even though the government may tell me that. I don't think they're for my own good. How do we view God's commandments? How do we view his statutes? Do we look at them the same way as perhaps we do some of the laws of the land? I don't like that commandment, but well, God said it, so I'm going to follow that commandment. I wish he hadn't said that. I'll see if I can find me a loophole somewhere. The writer here says the blessed man is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Meditates on it day and night. You see, God's commandments are for our own good. 
He knows us best. And by us, I mean humankind. He created us. He created everything in this world. He knows what is best for us. And his laws and statutes and commands are there because he knows if we will follow them, we will have the best life possible. It won't be perfect. Nothing's guaranteed. Sin is in the world. Nothing's going to be perfect. But we can have the best if we will follow his command. Because when we don't, we can be pretty well guaranteed things are going to get into a mess when we don't follow his commands. So is our delight in the law of the Lord? You know, our world hates God's command. Our world mocks. Our world scoffs. Our world tosses them aside. The world ridicules those who would live by them, treats them as opinions, or treats them as narrow-mindedness. How many of you have seen, we've seen that perhaps bumper sticker or, or a billboard that says, it's the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions? I kind of like that. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah. God has a reason for what he says. Do we truly find delight and joy and fulfillment in following God's way? The blessed man does. The delight comes from a true and deep understanding that only comes through constant study and meditation. Why do you read the Bible? To prove a point? Or to more fully understand God and his desire for your life? The second point that the psalmist makes to get us to choose is the result of being blessed. Well, what is, okay, if I choose to be blessed, if I choose to be the blessed man, what am I going to get out of it? Well, he goes on and he says, he is like the tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. He says that the blessed man is like a tree planted by a stream. I remember years ago, not long after we first moved here, we went out to Charlie and Kathy's and we're going horseback riding. And so Charlie takes us out on the horses. And at some point we get to the creek and we're sitting there by the creek. And Charlie, can you believe it? He quoted something. Does that, those of you that know Charlie, that shocks you? But he quoted this first song. As we stood by the tree that had been planted by the water, that was growing by the water, and was producing fruit, the acorns that were on the ground, it was producing fruit. And it says the blessed man is like the tree that is planted by the water, that is getting its nourishment. And not only getting its nourishment, but is also shedding off its fruit for others. In Galatians 5, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit and how that we ought to be producing that fruit in our lives. Jesus talked about the vine and the branches and the branches that produce fruit. That fruit, I believe there, is talking really about other Christians. And as Christians, we ought to be producing other Christians. We are rooted and nourished by God's word and by his power as the source for everything in our lives. And then like a healthy plant, we produce that fruit. And fruit by producing other Christians by our example and our Christ life walk. So he said, you want to know why you want to be the blessed man? Because you are going to be healthy. You are going to find nourishment. 
you are going to find prosperity and you're going to produce fruit. And then thirdly, he offers and shows what the result of the wicked is. Now we like the positive reinforcement, right? You know, that's when I, when I went back and took education classes and all that, it was all about positive reinforcement, positive, you know, those of you my age and younger, then there, there was no such thing as positive reinforcement. You know, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of negative reinforcement, which I'm not convinced is a bad thing, but that's beside the point. But he comes along and he gives the positive. This is why, this is why you want to be the blessed man. Then he comes along and says, this is why you don't want to be the wicked man. This is the negative. And he says here, not so the wicked, verse 4. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the sea in the assembly of the righteous. He compares them to the chaff that is blown away. Now, ah, I'm not a farm person, you know that. But I know enough and I've read enough and I understand the idea about chaff. I guess anything that's kind of a seed, wheat, rice maybe, oats, things like that, you know, it grows in and, and it grows in this little, little, little pod thing. And you don't want the little pod thing, you really just want the seed thing, right? And so you gotta figure out how you're gonna get the little seed thing out from the little pod thing. These are technical agronomic agricultural terms okay you can quote me on it don't google it though uh and so in the olden days they would take all the wheat that they'd harvest or whatever and they put it into you know a big place and then maybe they'd have an ox or a cow or whatever go around and around and around and kind of stomp it and then eventually what happened is, you know, it stomped it enough that it kind of separated the seed from the chaff. And then when they would take what they call this big winnowing fork, and they would, on a windy day, and they would take it and they would toss it up in the air, and the seed was heavier than the chaff, and the chaff would be blown off, and the seed would fall back to the ground. So that you'd only have the good seed stuff. And then the chaff would kind of be all raked up, and it would be burnt. Because it wasn't good for anything. And our writer reminds us that that's what it's like for the wicked. The wicked is like the chaff that's no good. The wicked is like the chaff that eventually is going to be burned away. In comparison to the tree that is planted and is rooted, this is a theme in the Psalms. We've already seen it two or three times. When we get frustrated when we get to the point that we don't understand why are things happening the way they are why are the wicked being so blessed why are the righteous struggling so much the 73rd psalm the writer makes it very personal God, I don't get it. I've done everything right. I'm I'm as righteous as I can be. And I got all these problems. I got all these things going wrong in my life. And that dude over there is as wicked as they come. He is evil. He is vile. He is disgusting. 
And look at what he's got. He lives in a mansion. He's got 14 cars. He's got all these different things. But then he says, but then I remembered. I remembered what you've promised me. And I remember what you've promised the wicked. It may not seem fair right now. But you've promised to take care of it in the end. We won't always have it perfect here. It won't always seem just here. It won't always seem right here. But God is the righteous judge. And there is that day of judgment coming. And for those who do not choose the narrow road. For those who do not choose life. For those who do not choose blessings. There will come that final judgment when God will judge the wicked and send them away to eternal punishment. And I've said this before. I don't think that we as Christians ought to look at that day with a sense of satisfaction. I used to. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to that day when God's going to judge the world and all them wicked people that are going to get what they deserve. All those people who've done me wrong. All those people. Boy, I can't wait. I can't wait for them to burn. Should that really be our attitude? I don't think so. Our attitude ought to be, I want to reach those people. I want to bring salvation To those people. Somebody brought salvation to me. When I didn't deserve it. I want to bring it to others. Even though I may not think they deserve it. I know that they do. If you're here this morning. And maybe you've not made the choice yet. Why would you wait? Why would you just kind of. Because. Making no choice. Is making a choice. If you don't make a choice, you've already made a choice. But choose life. Choose to be the blessed man that we find in Psalm 1. If you're here this morning, we can help you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service. 
Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.